This is an ultimate global podcast. Hello, and welcome to our special weekly podcast on trending international and social affairs. You're listening to Saurabh Kora and George Mavros from Sydney. So welcome to another exciting episode of Ultimate Global Podcast on this topic of multi-channel prospecting and cold calling. Now, in this week, I think that this seems to be the week of the UK at the Ultimate Global Podcast because I have got the third guest joining me from the UK in this week. One was Benjamin who joined me on Tuesday. Yesterday, I was joined by Helena who was talking about the story the art of storytelling and now the third guest today has joined us from the UK. Her name is Charlotte and she's the global director of partnerships at the Investment Monitor and she's also the co-host of podcast Simply Sales and Marketing. So she's also hosting her own podcast and I would love to know more about that uh, to begin with Charlotte and followed up by your initial comments on what you mean by multi-channel prospecting. Okay, sure. Thanks for having me on the show, Sarab um, and George. It's great to be here. So I started the Simply Sales and Marketing podcast in May this year, so almost three months in. The reason I started it was uh, several sort of uh, motives. I've been in sales now for a very long time. So I wanted to give something back to the sales community, sales historically and still in some sort of countries and culturally is seen as dirty, as sleazy. So it's all about changing the perception of sales. That's one of the reasons that I want to start the podcast. I have two co-hosts who are uh, leaders in marketing. So I actually two years ago changed roles and was went from selling traditional advertising with the Financial Times, a very well-known brand, to selling a marketing technology tool, which I knew nothing about. And working with a relatively unknown brand, a very new brand, selling a a completely new product to uh, a new marketplace. So I had to almost relearn not all of my sales tactics to adapt to the new digital world post-COVID, I also had to learn about marketing. I realized I didn't know enough about marketing and to be able to put myself in um, my customers, my prospect shoes, I wanted to learn a lot more about marketing. So the podcast was partly motivated by that, uh, to want to help, to want to inspire people, uh, to give the sales, something back to the sales community, but also to really leverage my own knowledge about marketing and to give me access to people from the sales and marketing world leaders, gurus, who perhaps, you know, without the podcast, I wouldn't have had access to them. Yep. Um, I want to know from you, Charlotte, because you said that you already have experience in sales and marketing. Yeah. Um, and related to this topic itself, what do you think about multi-channel prospecting and how do you see it has evolved over a period of time? Do you still see that there is some sort of synergies between what it was 10 years back? Or do you think that there has been a drastic change in the way uh, people are prospecting, uh, especially the salespeople? Yeah, it's a great question, Sarab. Uh, I think it's changed drastically. And I think the pandemic has ushered in this multi-channel prospecting since we weren't able to go to events, have face-to-face meetings for quite a long time. 
So salespeople were forced to really look inward and think about different ways to be able to reach their prospect. Also, it's a very crowded marketplace now. There's so many different tools that are coming out. There's so many different things that are, that, that are there to be sold. So multi-channel prospecting is a great way of being able to reach your prospect now on several touch points rather than going the route of I'll send an email, I'll cold call, which have obviously been in existence for quite a long time now. But being able to send a video, leverage LinkedIn using voice notes, you want to become more memorable. You want to be able to stand out in a good way. Uh, there's so many bad sales emails going out. I think a lot of salespeople rely on email too much, partly because cold calling has this sort of fear associated with it. Um, you know, it can be unpleasant. And, you know, the, 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 now we see video. Obviously, there's several video tools that you can use now to reach out to prospects. So sending a video is a great way of showing that you care, that you are prepared to do something a little bit different. Uh, and it's so easy to be able to do this. You can, you know, put together a 30 second video, send it on email, send it on LinkedIn. Um, you can also WhatsApp, send text, depending on how how familiar sort of the relationship that you have already with the prospect. So I'm a big fan of multi-channel prospecting. Typically, if I'm doing a cold outreach, I'm going to want to reach something I call combo prospecting. So I want to reach that prospect. Um, I want to reach out to them perhaps three times. So I might send an email, cold call later in the day or the day after. And then if I'm connected with them on LinkedIn, so I'll send a connect if I'm not connected, I'll send them a voice note as well. I'll, I'll say, you know, a, a send a short text saying, um, shot you an email, wanted to put a face to the name, um, have a really good week. So those sort of three things together mean that you're less likely to, to be ignored. And, and I want to direct the same question to George as well, because George is uh, having experience um, He's having a very vast experience, and I'm, I'm I know that George is not a big fan of um, online meetings. Uh, whenever I talk to George, he says that I'm always a fan of in-person meetings, um, mm -hmm. and where there is a human interaction, uh, you will see that you know. And, and he's always a fan of this thing that human interaction can never be replaced by any other kind of channels that we are looking at. So I want to know George's perspective into that as well. Um, well, I don't necessarily say it can never, ever be replaced by any other channel. Um, one of the things I want to talk about, first off, is what are we talking about? Because multi-channel marketing is the different channels you're using to get your product to the market. So you could be selling a product through grocery, which is one channel, hardware, which is another channel, um, distribution through other means uh, could be another channel. And that's traditionally what multi-channel marketing was. It was taking the product and doing that. When we're talking about using emails and television, radio, um, online and all of that, now you're talking about multi-methodology of marketing. But what, what you find in sales and marketing is that everybody wants to change the words or change the meaning of the words. And too many people get too precious. Oh, you can't call that channel marketing. It's got to, I don't really care. So, um, But there is a, 
multi-channel marketing is different verticals, horizontals of where you're distributing your product. So when I launched WD-40 and Armour all into the grocery trade, that was the channel that I was in. They had they had automotive and hardware in two other channels. How I launched it into there was was uh, using different uh, touch points in um, uh, in my marketing approach. And and I agree, Charlotte, that you um, there's more there's more impact and or there's a there's a, a potential for more impact and a better impact if you go uh, different ways. But if you get it right, you don't have to do it a whole lot of different ways. Um, if the reason you the reason you go to different channels is um, filling in the gaps. Um, I've got a, a company that I have a shareholding in, which is a pork crackling business. So part of one of our channels is grocery stores, but the other channel is is into um, uh, bottle shops and those sorts of areas. We have two separate distribution networks running because they're, they're different channels. And if you if you're not in one, you're going to miss sales, and if you're not in the other, you're going to miss sales. But I could I can advertise and I can market to the population because the same person will go into both of those outlets. Um, Coming back to your point about face-to-face -face versus online, I still believe that that face-to-face um, -face is is a um, a much better way of communicating with people. The problem with it is that it's inefficient by comparison to online marketing. Um, and um, yeah, as you know, Sarab, I've got many many sayings, and every cloud has a silver lining. And you have to find the silver lining of every cloud. Um, there, people like Zoom and and uh, podcasts and things like that. They've got to be ecstatic about COVID because Zoom never had the lift that it had until everybody went well to hell with it. I can't do face to face. I've got to do something with Zoom. Um, I pulled back on two presentations that I was going to do in a face-to-face -face networking group. And I, I said at the time, I'm not doing that online because it will not have the impact. Um, when we went back to face-to-face, -face, I then resurrected one of those presentations and got enormous success out of it. So it's about knowing, it's about knowing what you're trying to do and how you're trying to do it. Online marketing is the most um, inefficient strike rate um product that's ever come around if you stop and think about it there's millions or billions of people there and and you don't you don't get that the rate of sales the reason it's successful is you only have to get 0.0001% and you've got yourself a lot of business but people should always remember as online marketing you can win a lot of people with just one post with online marketing, get it wrong, you can lose just as many people with one post. Absolutely. And I think uh, when you are talking to someone in person, you are looking at the different uh, segments of body language, how you're talking to that person, what is your um, eye expression, or how you just talking to another person really tells you a lot about how that individual thinks or how that individual uh, really analyzes some 
topic now moving from prospecting to cold calling i would like to ask charlotte related to this thing that how does a normal cold call look like for you on a day to day basis yeah no it's a great question so i would say i'm a bit of a champion cold caller i've always liked it from the get go typically i would do anything from 20 to 40 cold calls a day so not a lot compared to what some people are doing 200 uh ripping through dials typically i would get around about depending on the day 20 to 40% response rate connection um well i say 40% connection rate most of the time it's i get hung up on um when i do get through to that person I tend to you know the objective of cold call is to basically book more time uh, keep the person on the phone to be able to then book the meeting. So I would start with a permission based opener. Um hi Sarab, I know you're not expecting my call this morning. Do you mind if I take a few moments to tell you why I'm calling and you can decide if it makes sense if we should speak. Normally the person would say yes because that's a pattern interrupt. So typically when somebody's cold calling you you're going to say Hi, how are you? And the person do you have 15 minutes and the default answer is always going to be no. So saying something like that usually the person will say yes. Um I'll I'll give you a few more moments. And then I'll typically drop a priority or a challenge. So that's specific to that industry and to that persona if I'm talking to a CMO or a chief business development officer, um I'll drop that one or two priorities. They will then usually if they haven't thrown me off the phone by this point they would then usually respond to those priorities or they might say well we're actually focusing on something else entirely and then the call goes on from there and typically i'll get you know one of the common objections i'm not interested we're all set you know we're using a competitor um call me back sometimes i get call me back another time or how did you get my number is a great one uh and a good response to that would be well seems like you think it's inappropriate for me to call you on this number so i'll set up but i'll say before that look i got your number with lucia um i got your number from linkedin i got your number from zoom so and then i'll say it seems appropriate that you know for me to call you directly with this number and then the person might say something completely you know, they'll open up a bit more um they'll feel that they're you know being listened to rather than oh my gosh this is a cold call i'm going to be sold to so it's about breaking down those barriers when you're on a cold call and thinking about you know you want to be able to book a meeting with this with this person because you know that potentially your product could be a match so i used to see cold calls as i have to be able to sell my product and pitch my product and i think a lot of sales people still go in with that mentality um that they have to start pitching and and keep the person on the phone as long as possible no it's about being able to then book the next meeting yeah absolutely um and i think um, sometimes quantity is less important than quality as you just said that you are calling 40 people and someone else is calling 200 people i think i have had a discussion regarding this with george as well and george Uh, I, I guess also agrees with this fact that it's more important for you to look at the quality of conversations that you are having throughout the day. And are you able to pitch to the right people? You might pitch to twenty people, but are those twenty really the warm prospects or the prospects you really think can can be a good 
fit for your product and the and the problem that you are trying to solve if i just call randomly to 100 people and they are nowhere close to what i'm selling then i'm just wasting my time for 8 hours isn't it george yeah um interesting uh i think it was um i'm just working out my age when i first heard this so it would be somewhere around late 70s early 80s Uh, I believe it was there was a there was a uh, a test done, and what they did is they uh, and I can't remember the exact products and all of that, but you'll get the idea. So they took like a two dollar pen, um, a Mercedes motor vehicle, a three thousand dollar holiday, uh, an air conditioner, and um, a mop and bucket. Just they took very random um, products. And the criteria was that they had to try and establish that they had an acceptable product at an acceptable price. So it wasn't it wasn't necessarily the cheapest and it wasn't necessarily the dearest. It offered value for money for what they were doing. And then the next thing was that they qualified the marketplace and they they aimed to go to an acceptable market. So, for example, if those and, and I don't believe it was a Mercedes. For some reason, I keep thinking it's a BMW, but I'm not 100% sure. Somebody might know that. So, selling a, a a BMW, they weren't going to the people that were sleeping on the street and were homeless. Okay. The interesting thing that came up was they sold the same sort of strike rate of the motor vehicle as they did of the ballpoint pens as they did of the holidays because and it came out to about 1 in 13. Hmm. Now that doesn't that doesn't mean that you do 12 sales and then you get one, 12 sales and then you get one, 12 sales no. It doesn't mean that at all. But but when they averaged out the strike rate, it was about 1 in 13. So an acceptable product in an acceptable market at an acceptable price, you can do that. When it comes to cold calling particularly, um the first one the thing that absolutely drives me insane is if anybody dares ring me cold calling and just starts without first getting my permission is this a good time to ring you um and if they start with if this is a good time to ring you i'll give them a little bit of time and Charlotte for your benefit i've trained in excess of 4000 sales people and i teach them this sort of stuff too the best way to get somebody to slam the phone down on you is to annoy them <laughs> so 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 the first thing is you gain permission as charlotte said can i speak to you for a couple of minutes and then make your decision um the next part for me is i don't use cold calls to get permission to have another meeting without using the cold call to qualify. So I want to establish that they may be interested and there may be a fit because if there's not a fit I don't need to go any further. Um now it's been it's been many years since I've had to do cold call. I've been blessed that the last 10 or 15 years um all my business comes from referrals. So um but but I will remember the days when I did do cold call campaigns. Um and just on that um the um 
as it happens, the the number that I play, I was telling Sarab earlier on I play soccer, the number I play in and have played in for, for I think, 40-something seasons, so I've only missed a few without it, is the number 13. And it's always been a lucky number for me. So, uh, <laughs> And I started playing in 13 before I started being, well, about the same time. So there you go. Wow. That's great. My birthday's on the 13th, so it's a lucky number for me too. That's, yep, <laughs> always a good number. Yeah. And also, Charlotte, I wanted to understand from you uh, as to how will you break down the cold call? I know you have already described that, but <laughs> if I have to really ask you to break down that cold call into different segments, um, how will you be doing that? Because because a lot of a uh, lot of people might not have the right structure while they are giving a call to any any of their customers, or they might put in the wrong sequence of things, uh, saying the last thing the first and the first thing the last. It's so how would how would you structure the cold call um, in terms of if if we say in terms of an email what will be the introduction what will be the body what will be the conclusion? Yeah, so you start as as George was saying as well with a permission based opener. You want to ask permission first that the person you want to sound that to sound a little bit different to what nine out of ten other salespeople are probably still using. So. You start with that if the person says, um, you know, normally the person would say yes, is, is what I find when, when I use that. The second part of the call then goes on to the priority drop or the, the, the challenge or the problem drop. And I think this depends on who you're speaking with in Europe. Generally, I find that prospects don't like to talk about problems. If you mention the word problems or challenges, it kind of makes them go defensive. So I would say priorities. Um, if I'm talking to European prospects, if I'm talking to North Americans, I might want to say challenges or problems because I tend to find, and this is purely based on my experience, um, nothing else, that they would like to, that they're happier to talk about their problems and challenges because they're thinking more about that. That mindset is different in terms of they want to find solutions. Once I've dropped one or two priorities, um, I might then get an objection. So, uh, as I mentioned before, the objections would be around, I'm not interested, I don't have time, I'm all set, um, we're currently, we're happy with our current vendor. It's always going to be sort of one of those objections. Um, so typically I would objection handle, I might say, I get that you're not interested. Um, typically when I speak to VPs or CMOs, so I quote the job title I'm speaking to, um, they're uh always sort of want to keep up on trends or they you know they they so i would put something in that might I wouldn't say challenge but would make them feel a bit more open to, to telling me why they're not interested send me an email another another great one um what i would do here there's one of two things that you can do you can say great i'd love to send you an email um can you tell me specifically what you'd like to see in that email What's the subject line got to be? Another one is to call out what they might be thinking or feeling. So I say typically when someone asks me to send them an email, they're not really that interested. Um, would I be right, Sarab, in assuming that this is this is this is the case? So call it out for what it is, um, and then you can move on with with the rest of the call. And then 
typically what I want to do is book another meeting. So, you know, if, we, if I do say, if, if I send the email, what got, has to be in the subject line, typically, Sarab, um, you know, I'm going to send you this email and a lot of VPs, CMOs like to be able to go through this once they receive it. So if you're not opposed, let's book some time on the calendar next week. How about Tuesday, 10 a.m., Thursday, 12 p.m.? So the structure of the cold call is relatively simple. I think sometimes salespeople overcomplicate it. And when you get on a cold call, it can be scary. So one of the ways that, I mean, I've been doing it for years and I still have moments when somebody will hang up on me and you want to, uh, you know, just call them back straight away. Um, call out the fact that you got cut off. Um, it's quite difficult, I think, to, to, to really get master cold calls and you know they shouldn't be scripted but in the beginning if you feel more comfortable scripting something practice in the mirror the more you practice the more comfortable you'll feel and you ditch that script because nothing sounds worse than a scripted cold call yeah absolutely and before i move to george i want to also talk about the other prospecting channel which is getting very very fancy fanciful and very popular these days that's the linkedin sales navigator Almost every SDR and every account executive, I think I have chatted with, they are using LinkedIn Sales Navigator. So uh, I want to understand from Charlotte as to how is she using it um, for, for her business? Because I think LinkedIn Sales Navigator has kind of done certain things in uh, for you know replacing cold calling because now you can filter out the people by their interest areas, by their departments, by the countries they're located in, by the industries your business is targeting. So that's not exactly, I'll say, cold in-mail, but you are still trying to filter it out and target the exact industries that your product is going to be sold to, isn't it, Charlotte? Yeah, no, LinkedIn Sales Navigator is truly amazing. I think it's very under leveraged by most salespeople. You know, you can look specific job titles, specific industries, you look for your trigger events. So has that person changed jobs recently? Um, have they won an award? Has their organization won an award? Um, has a comp in my case, I sell to location. So I'm looking at locations like Montreal or Brisbane or Melbourne. Have they had a company expand or relocate there? how many jobs were created. So there's plenty of things that you can do with LinkedIn Sales Navigator, set filters, set reminders, and use it um, as much as possible so that when you're approaching your prospect, you've got your messaging on point. Yep, absolutely. Moving on to you, George, uh, I want to discuss one of the points that Charlotte just discussed on the cold calling part when she was saying that if you are interacting with a European, there is a different way of selling the product. If you are chatting or talking to an American, there can be different nuances which are related to the cultural part of it. So how do you see this cultural element coming into cold calling when you're talking to new customers? Of course, the foundation of it, the foundation of selling still remains the same. But do you think that it kind of changes a bit when you are talking to an American versus an Australian versus a European? Oh, definitely. Um, I, don't, I don't necessarily think that you have to 
reinvent yourself. Um, but you should always, if you're a professional salesperson, you should always be respecting the client. Um, and and the very first thing that you have to respect is that if I've got a retail shop and you walk into my retail shop and my shop sells hardware products, it's reasonable for me to assume that you want to buy some sort of hardware product. If I ring you out of the blue and I sell hardware products, it's not reasonable for me to assume that you need it. You might, but it's... It, so. Cold calling, you are stepping into somebody's house as opposed to them stepping into your shop. Remember that. Now, would you walk into um, um, somebody from an Indian background house the same way as you would walk into an Australian house, the same way as you'd walk into somebody who's of the Muslim faith, somebody who's of the Christian faith, somebody who's a hippie, right? No, you. If you want to, if you want to be respectful to people, you have to respect their environment. When you're dealing um, with different cultures, you can often inadvertently um, make mistakes. I was in Germany a number of years ago, and I walked up. Uh, I was at a trade show, and I walked up to one of those pop-up coffee cart things, and there was a chap there who I swear was Sergeant Schultz from Hogan's Heroes. Um, he's a big, solid German fellow. And I went up and I said to him, uh, I'll have a white coffee, thanks, mate, in my true Aussie accent. And I got back in Germany. We do not have white coffee. We have black coffee. Won't you put the milk in it? And I, I went like that. To I was about to tell him he was a rude. And as I went, I went, actually, that's a very good point. Now, Charlotte, you may, if you've ever had dealings with German people, they are very, very precise. Um, they're Dutch, German, they're great to deal with, but it's the parameter. That's it. Right? So if you if you if you want to if you want to get engaged with them, you've got to you've got to be respectful and understand what's going on. So yeah, hundred percent agree. Absolutely. And I think this is very important. Uh, this is a very critical element of cold calling. That, that's why I thought of um, asking you on this part. One last question before we end today's podcast, and that's to Charlotte. Uh, related to the point that you all already raised is that how can one handle rejections during a cold call? Now, if you are making 40 calls during a day, there can be three or four customers who can scold at you who can be really angry at you and they can just spoil your entire day and you can just keep on thinking about those customers and wasting your time that why did that customer tell this to me and you can take it personally as well sometimes yes. so how will you tackle rejections and how do you do that in your day-to-day -day life yeah a great question that rejection comes up first off you have to detach yourself from the outcome so know that when you're being rejected on a cold call, it's not the person, it's not you that's being rejected. It's not you personally. It's your product, it's your service. So being able to separate yourself from that is absolutely key. And that takes time. Um, it's not easy when you're starting out, but it's it, you have to keep telling yourself that that's what it is. And, you know, if you catch somebody um, at a bad time and they're, and they're quite rude, it's not you that they're being rude to. So that's the first thing. 
The second thing, the way to, to deal with that, detach yourself from the outcome is to just keep practicing and keep going. Um, you know, there'll be days I, I've, I've been cold calling for years and someday there's days where you do feel like you take it personally. So keep reminding yourself that, you know, you are not your product and your product is not you um, is, the, is the first thing. Other things that I do to practice rejection daily is to almost create a rejection experiment. So uh, you want to be able to look for the no, um, ask for things, try, I don't know, say if you want extra syrup in your coffee and um, maybe you want to try and get it for free and try something crazy like that. Um, You're obviously going to get a no. So look for the no as much as possible, perhaps in your personal life. Um, it set up this sort of little experiment to, to really make sure that if you're getting no regularly, then you get used to it. So one of the things I am now used to is no. So I expect no all the time. I expect no if I ask my friends to go out for a drink or for dinner so that I don't get disappointed. And that's, you know, if you're, if you're expecting the no, it's it's far easier to deal with and you know you you you're you're armoring yourself to 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 really set yourself up for success and um deal with rejection because that's obviously going to help ensure that you know you're putting your best self out there when you're cold calling when you're in front of a prospect yeah i think um, this used to happen with me two years back, uh, when I used to take uh, sales quite personally, um, when some customer used to tell me about my product, um, you know, sometimes it was like I was taking it a bit personally. But then I also learned this fact that uh, over a period of time that you can be reminded of those weeks when you sold and you met your sales targets. So it means there were a bunch of customers during that week who were ready to buy my product. It means the product is sellable. I can sell the product. There is nothing wrong with me. There is nothing wrong with the product. But maybe in this week, I talk to the wrong customers. In the next week, I'll make sure I'll talk to the right customers and make those no's to yeses. So that's something which I learned. um, And now I think it's, I think when you start doing it more and more uh, over a period of time, you learn that. But thank you so much, Charlotte. Thank you so much, George, for today's podcast. I think it was really insightful. Um, And uh, hoping to see you again in one of our episodes, Charlotte. Thank you very much for having me. Nice to meet you. Thank you, Charlotte. This is an Ultimate Global Podcast. Hello, and welcome to our special weekly podcast on trending international and social affairs. You're listening to Saurabh Kora and George Mavros from Sydney.